Welcome to the Perfect First Layer Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we answer questions from you, the 3D printing community. My name is Guy Dunlap from Guy's Shop, and with me today, as always, are my co-hosts, JJ and Nathan. Say hello, guys. Hello. 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 And we do depend on your questions for this podcast, so if you have one for our panel, please go to perfectfirstlayer.com, go to the submit page, and send it. We also have a Patreon. We only have one level right now, and it's kind of like a tip jar. And we're simply asking for a small donation to help keep this podcast going. So please go to patreon.com slash perfect first layer. So what do you got going on in the uh, lab right now, Nathan? What are you testing? What are you breaking? Yeah, so I'm testing two of the hottest 3D printers right now. I've got the P1P and the Ender 5S1 that I've heavily modified. And I've finished filming that episode. It was a lot of fun. But now I'm editing it, and it should be live pretty soon here. So it's, uh, I, I think it's going to be a good video, but you know how it goes. You put all this work into a video, you think it's going to be great, and then that's that just tanks. So <laughs> is, it, is it like a battle royale between the two printers? Yeah, it's like a, I kind of framed it like a boxing match. So it's nice. the middleweight championships because they're, they're not super expensive machines, but they're not lightweights, cheapo machines either. So... So it looks um, like you got the 5S1 going pretty good in your video. You're, you're, you seem happier with it now. Yeah, uh, it's pretty good. The P1P is also doing pretty good now as well. Um, it might have just been a bad batch of filament. So that's just one of those unfortunate things that you get a new box of filament from what you think is a reputable brand. And every now and then it's just not good. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of tuning and stuff that went into it. But. Overall, I don't want to spoil it, but they, it, it ends up yeah. being pretty even, in my opinion. Well, by the time this podcast comes out, your video will have aired already. Right. So Keep so go check mind. it out if you're listening to this right now, <laughs> <laughs> after you finish the podcast. Yeah. Anything else? Or is that it? Um, well, that's the thing I'm most excited about. I just also finished up my CRM4 review, and I'm trying to think of some really large stuff to print with that. Um, I'm thinking about printing a bicycle, like a full bicycle. So, yeah, what that's, you, what what, the, uh, that's what the bike helmet was about in the last video. Okay. Ah, uh, yeah. I was wondering yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, I think everybody's wondering, like, what the hell's going on? What's got a helmet on? Right. It's like, um, uh, I'm not going to say it anyways. So, but I thought, <laughs> I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny. I thought you were just trolling for comments. Right. Like Sometimes I need to wear I a helmet. To yeah. As soon as you get a Creality machine, you need to start wearing a helmet because you've, <laughs> you've proven that you're a little bit deficient. Oh, God. Creality will never sponsor us. Just never, <laughs> ever, ever. I, I like my Creality machines at the end of the day. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, what, what would you do without them? Right. I'd probably have printers that worked and then I'd just be printing stuff instead of tinkering with stuff. So yeah. easiest way to make upgrade videos is start with something pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you got going on JJ? Yeah. So I'm finishing up my flying bear ghost six review that should be posted later today as of recording. And then probably going to put clipper on that one. And then also got a Creality sonic pad showed up after Creality heard my, review of their S- Ender 5 S1, they quickly scrambled to send me a Sonic pad. They were like, oh, people say it's better with this one, so maybe you would like this. Yeah. So I'm thinking it could be good to compare those two printers, maybe after putting Clipper on both of them, really unlock the hardware and see how far I can push both of those. Yeah, I, I, I ended up downloading the new Prusa 2.6, uh, their oh, latest yeah. alpha version. And I tell you what, the the preset profiles they have in there are actually pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, I was really surprised at how good Uh, the presets were for both my Voron and the Ender 5 S1. That's really interesting Mm. because one of the big things that I was finding when I was comparing the P1P and the Ender 5 S1 is the stock printer profiles are so lazy in the uh, Creality Slicer and Prusa Slicer. Like they're not designed yeah. to get the most out of the machine. Um, I feel like it's it's hidden settings that I was finding of in Cure at least they're down in the experimental bottom section of like it would slow down on walls. It says you put some big numbers in the speed section, but it's these hidden set it settings right. that are really slowing it limits you down. Limits everything. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like you want your accelerations to be 10,000 when you're printing, but when you're extruding, it limits it to like <laughs> 500. And it's like, yeah. well, if I'm printing, I'm probably extruding. <laughs> so why don't I just have both of those controlled by the same parameter? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I, I, yeah, I, that, that's, that was a huge thing. And it really helped speed up the machine. I got mm-hmm. my, my 5S1 printing pretty fast. Uh, I think the the most I really wanted to get out of it and still get really good prints is like around 160, 180. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, I'm, I'm happy with that. But on that one, you have Clipper to do the input shaping. Yep. So that takes out the ringing. My issue yep. with that printer was how bad the ringing was. The box frame just isn't very stable uh, to support it. Versus the Ghost 6 has solid walls on it, so it's way more stable at high speeds. Yeah. Is that, is that like a, a stamp steel frame on it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Um, so. um, yeah, I, I just I just posted that that, that video of my, my 5S1 with the, the Sonic pad. And I did some other stuff. I, most of the stuff I did, unfortunately, Nathan just posted a lot of the exact same mods. <laughs> so I didn't want to have a, almost a duplicate video. That's one of the main reasons I didn't put the El Pablo on there. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's like, pretty obvious what needs to be improved on a yeah. lot of Creality yeah. machines. Yeah. yeah. Like JJ said earlier that you're starting with a bad machine. But I wouldn't say that it's a bad machine. It's like incredibly overbuilt in some ways and incredibly <laughs> underbuilt in other ways. So it's like, okay, part cooling definitely needs an upgrade. These loud fans definitely have to go. So it's like... Uh, it's kind of like things that they should have figured out at the factory or in their design process mm-hmm. because they're really doing a great job in some areas, but doing a poor job in others. And it's like, just bring up the low points and then all of a sudden you have a pretty good printer. Yeah. But even like I said, in that, that, that newest Prusa slicer, I started just using the, the, the stock Voron settings for my Voron 0.2. Mm, yeah. And it, it does great. And I'm, I'm printing 30 minute benches on the thing and they're, they're perfect. No nice. stringing. They're yeah. just like perfect. Um, so anyways, anyway, so you guys want to get to some questions? Let's do it. Yeah. All right. So our first question comes from Lawrence and he's from Toronto. Hey, so <laughs> He says, I have an Ender 5 with the extruder set up with a Bowden tube, which I think is stock. If I change over to direct drive, what are the immediate benefits to me? Can I go faster? Does it print better? And if I do upgrade, can you recommend an all-in-one unit? Or should I go the DIY route and use the parts that I have to print out a new tool head? I know too many questions. Thanks for the great podcast. So there's a lot to unpack there. Um I have a, one of the older Ender 5s. Actually, it was an Ender 5, not a Plus or a Pro or anything like that, um, that I've done a lot of upgrades to. Nathan, I know you're a big proponent of direct drive over Bowden tubes. Right. What's, what's, what, what's the benefit of taking you know, a stock machine like the Ender 5 and just slapping a direct drive unit on it? Is that going to improve things that much? Well, it's kind of a trade-off, but it's kind of a trade-off in the way that I it improves the things that I like about print quality. Okay. So you're increasing the tool head mass by putting the stepper motor on the tool head, which means you're going to get worse ringing. So that's the major downside of having um, a direct drive extruder. You can mitigate that by buying some of these fancy geared uh lightweight extruders so you're not adding that much extra weight and you end up with all the benefits but less of the cons and so the benefits of having direct drive is without doing any kind of extra tuning you just put the direct drive extruder on there and all of a sudden the printer is able to uh, extrude plastic more quickly and stop extruding more quickly so those are things that um, just improve when you're starting and stopping a lot like uh, let's say when you're doing your perimeters you start the perimeter you do a circle around your part and then you stop extruding Um, there's going to be a little gap there pretty much all the time 
And by using a direct drive extruder, that gap gets a little bit cleaner. Okay. Um, so like the Z seam will be a little bit cleaner yeah. and you can print faster um, and spend less time doing retractions. So the other thing is uh, with a Bowden setup, you usually have a retraction of about five or six millimeters. So every time you extrude a little bit of plastic, then you stop, you have to wind back that filament um, before you move it to somewhere else. And you have to pull it back like five or six millimeters. Yeah, that With, five or six millimeters is quite a bit. Man. That's over a quarter of an inch. Yeah. Uh, right. But we're talking to a Canadian, so he can handle the, the metric. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, if you're doing a, if you have a direct drive extruder on there, you only have to retract about one millimeter. So, you know, it's just ends up saving you a little bit of time there and also cleans up those uh, print start and print stop moves. What what do you think about all this, JJ? Yeah, I think it does print faster. Um, Yes, you are adding more mass to it, uh, to the tool head there. So moving that around will have more inertia and stuff. Um, But the whole retraction speed difference, um, retracting, you know, one sixth of your distance, and you're going to do a lot of retractions in the case of a print, um, really can save a good amount of time, especially if you're trying to print fast. Um, And the quality, and I think direct drive extruders have just gotten so much better, and that's why you see them more commonly now versus back when the Ender 5 originally came out. There weren't good direct drive solutions, and so a cheap Bowden system is going to be better than a cheap direct drive system, and so that's why they were more common back then, I think, at least. All right. That's, that's, that's a good answer. So the, 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 the print quality and the speed, or I should say the print time, is going to go down a little bit. But if you, if you have that heavier head on there, the heavier uh, tool head, and you start printing faster with it, isn't that going to increase the ringing? In theory, yes. Yeah. Um, but... How much is it actually going to change things? It could be not as much as you would think, actually. Okay. Okay. The other improvements that you get with direct drive is just quality of life improvements. So um, when you have a Bowden tube, whenever you have to change filaments out, you have to like pull it and then fish out like uh, half, like a foot or half a meter of filament. And then you load your other one and you're just like shoving it in and making sure that the tip is pointy and it doesn't get caught on anything when you're feeding it into the tube. With a lot of direct drive extruders, you just pull a lever and stick the filament in there and it's a lot simpler. And uh, also the Bowden tube itself is a wear part. So like after printing for a couple hundred hours, it might get loose and that might start affecting your print quality. So it's just another factor to add uh to to it's another area for failure for prints to not look so great yeah. and those dang clips that hold on to the bowden tube yeah. <laughs> i had totally forgotten about uh since i've switched over to pretty much direct drive on everything that's the one part i've replaced most on any of my printers uh, i've replaced probably 10 of those over the life of printing but i haven't replaced most other parts <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the the other thing too, with direct drive, it, it obviously handles something like TPU a lot better or the flexible filaments. I I was able to print stuff with the Bowden tube on my Ender 3B2 using, um, I think it was like Ninja Flex mm-hmm. was the brand name, 94, 95 short hardness, whatever the hell that means. I don't really know, <laughs> but um, I was able to print that through a Bowden tube and I was kind of, I was kind of happy about it actually. I yeah. Know, but I know some, that's a big, big thing with the direct drive. I've gotten some 93 working on my old Bowden system um, from Polymaker made some um, and it worked, but then switching over to a Bowden to a direct drive system, you can do things like retractions will actually work. <laughs> <laughs> versus on the Bowden system, I made sure all the, the combing was in on the infill. So the travels will be on the inside of the part and wouldn't try to move between parts or anything like that. Yeah. One, one yeah. problem I really had with the, the flexible was stringing. 
It was, mm-hmm. it was brutal. Just yeah. Brutal. In general, the Bowden tube printers will do a little. Uh, in general, the direct drive printers will have a little bit better performance when it comes to stringing too. So should Lawrence go the DIY route to do this or get an all buy an all in one unit? Well, it depends on how much time you have on your hands. If you don't mind just messing around for a while, doing a DIY first and just seeing how you like that uh, could be fun. But in the end, if you want something that's high performance, then I would just buy uh, a high quality direct drive extruder. Yeah, you can get them for a pretty ch- like you get the Orbiter V2 for 60 bucks or so. And it's a great, small, lightweight direct drive extruder. One tip, if you do go the direct drive, the DIY route, if this is your only printer, print multiple parts, spares, backups. So while you're installing it, if you break something, you're not dead in the water and have to revert every part you've already put on the printer. Because I did that with my first printer, trying to put a new hot end on. (laughs) Broke one little clip to it. And I was like, well, now i got to take reverse this last hour of work I just did. Yeah. But even even if you get like a you know like an orbiter or a, or a mm-hmm. Bontech extruder you still have to put that on you know a whole tool head and you like I said you print those out cuz I know if you buy those things it doesn't come with that. Right. You still well, have to go searching or design your own. If you just get the Sprite upgrade kit that has everything you need and it's about like $100. Hmm. Um so then you just get like the hot end and the extruder all in one unit it's a it's an okay solution there's other people that offer a similar upgrade kit like uh, uh, micro swiss is one of them they'll you can buy a whole set where you buy the extruder the hot end and the motor all together and it's really designed to be an easier installation experience mm-hmm. yeah i actually got one of those and i put it on my ender 3v2 i can't remember what it's called it's like an ng or something like that yeah the ng is their new one yeah, and it was it was fantastic. Yeah, it's a great. It just bolted right on. It was direct drive. It had a hot, you know, an all metal hot end on it, and it just it just worked. It was tremendous. Yeah. So, and I think those are about a hundred dollars. Is that yeah? Right? I think it's just over a hundred for the whole it's set. Over hundred. But it's pretty convenient the way they have it set up. You just kind of put it together, and and you're done. Yeah. So it all comes down to it all comes down to how much money you want to spend and how much fun you want to have putting it together. Yeah. See, for me, I would rather I'm getting ready to do a uh, another full upgrade on my Ender Five, and I'm doing it. Why am I doing it? Because I can, pretty much, and it's I, I have fun doing it. But there's absolutely the machine prints really well but I'm going to tear it all apart and put new parts on it. Like I said, it's for me, that's fun. And buying a, a complete unit like that, like you say, isn't as much fun. It's just put it on and you're done. It's like, uh, okay, what's the next thing? So anything else you guys want to add? Um, yeah. One last thing when it comes to direct drive, when I did my extrusion flow rate testing, I found that direct drive extruders have a much higher uh, maximum flow rate because mm-hmm. there's friction inside of the Bowden tube because like as it's going around the corner, it's like rubbing up against it. And basically, when you have a straight shot, and you're just shoving the filament directly into the heater block. That's just going to be the most efficient setup. And mm-hmm. in, uh, in terms of like... The actual numbers, I think I I was maxing out around 12 cubic millimeters per second with a Bowden tube set up, and I could push it all the way up to like 25. So roughly double the maximum print speed you can achieve. With the same hot end? Uh, Yes, with the same hot end. But um, that's, you know, you have to upgrade the rest of your machine to be able to handle, you know, moving fast enough to lay down that much plastic and also cooling that down as you're printing. So... Yeah. Yep. I think well, for budget machines, Bowden makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, the thing with 3D printers is like a lot of other things in life. You change one thing and it affects 10 other things. So you do this one thing, then you have to do this, and then you have to do that, and then you have to do this. It, it, for every action, there's a reaction. 
I thought you just nothing's perfect. You just bolt a spoiler on your car and you can go faster. <laughs> no, that's a you paint a racing stripe. Oh yeah, and it goes stickers, faster. some uh, flame stickers. Yep, yep, that always makes it go faster. So, all right. Well, thanks for the question, Lawrence. Uh, you guys ready for the next one? Yep. Yeah. All right. This comes from Justin. This is something we've never really talked about before. I don't think in depth anyways. He says, I want to add automatic bed leveling to my printer, which is an Ender 3. There are so many options. Can you guys discuss the different types of bed level sensors and which is the most accurate and the best value? Um, JJ, why don't, why don't yeah. you start off with this? I like physical probes. So whether it's the BL Touch, the CR Touch, the Clicky, there's some DIY options that have a physical switch that touch your build plate. So I like those over any of the inductive probes because you can use any build type, any bed plate you want. If you mm -hmm. want a piece of G10 fiberglass, it works. If you want to use metal, it works. Um, and it's really probing on the physical surface you're printing on instead of using magnets and stuff, which can work different on different surface types you're trying to use and stuff. Um, so I always prefer the physical ones. Um, and I think I've seen accuracies pretty similar between all of them, but that's, that's my preference. I'd like to hear what you guys think about different. Yeah. I'm actually surprised to hear JJ advocating for the mechanical solution. I thought for <laughs> sure, you know, electrical all yeah. the way. I normally love induction and electrons are my favorite, but. Yeah, you bring up some good points, though. I was going to say um, inductive probes are better because mm. everything I use is uh, is a, a metal print surface. But mm. I can see your point where if you're using G10, uh, the fiberglass sheets that you, you have mm. a, a, yeah. an appreciation for, um, then the inductive probe just won't work on it. And uh, uh, what I like about inductive probes is there's no moving parts to fail. But in practice, I've never had a BL touch or CR touch fail unless I was abusing it. Um, and then that would never happen. Right. Not in my lab. We, we take. Uh, yeah. So the other thing is I was thinking about like doing some decorative prints on random objects like a book or like a laptop, just like set it on your printer. And mm -hmm. you could, I was thinking about probing on it and like putting some decorations like my channel logo on, on it or something. Um, but that wouldn't probably work with an inductive probe. So yeah. the, the mechanical switch is always going to be able to level on whatever you throw in there, which I think is a real advantage. What, what, what kind of inductive probes do you do you like to use? I know there's just the generic uh, inductive probes. There's also like I think E3D makes one, uh, the ABL or so. Is that right? The yeah, ABL? Easy, a easy ABL. Easy ABL. I don't think I've heard of it. A little expensive. Yeah, a lot of seventy bucks. A lot of inductive probes are pretty expensive. I'm not sure why they're so expensive. It seems like um, it's probably just like an inductive coil and calibrated to some standard I, uh, I put one on my voron i paid six dollars for it wow <laughs> that's well, it. you should tell me where i should buy one because i just bought one for my rat rig and it was like 43 dollars. <laughs> i think oh. people you know they charge what people are willing to pay and if it adds value to you then where, where'd you get gonna... it from i got it from rat rig okay mm. yeah well see this is just from amazon and it's just a cheap chinese made you know, it's right. just an inductive probe. Uh, I think uh, maybe in a future prod podcast, we can talk about the use of generic components versus name brand and how, yeah. how that works But it's out. probably the those expensive ones might be that 5% more accurate. Um, but when it comes to most probes, you're getting to the 0. 0.000 decimal place. Um, <laughs> and your prints don't really care at that point. How yeah, if it's off, you know, five ten thousandths of a millimeter uh okay yeah i'm yeah. good with that i've printed on beds that are off quite a bit and what i do is i just uh increase the first layer thickness 
and uh, also increase the extrusion width of the first layer because that's usually a setting you can change in your slicer. Then you're a lot more tolerant to that bed not being perfectly flat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the good things, you know, I, I can suggest to Justin too is, you know, if you, you look at like the Ender 3 uh, to put uh, automatic bed leveling on it, you have to flash the firmware. And I know that Creality just has a firmware package with the, the BL Touch already baked into it. So all you have to do is get a BL Touch and the, it comes with a mount to attach it right to an Ender 3 because it's so um, prolific and you just flash the firmware and you're pretty much ready to go. It does all the work for you. So that's the, it's a very simple way to add a, uh, ABL to an Ender 3. Yep. In terms of accuracy, because I know that's something he specifically brought up, um, I find they're all accurate enough. Like, I've never had an issue where a probe isn't plenty accurate. I feel like I just watched one this morning from someone who was comparing the accuracy of the CR touch to the BL touch. And, yeah, it was something... Crazy small decimal between them. That's one with the the Creality CR Touch. I feel like is a good upgrade over the BL Touch. Using the they use a metal actual probe arm mm -hmm. versus the BL Touch just has a little piece of plastic moving up and down. Um, and I always feel like I'm gonna just bump it slightly would easily bend that little probe versus yeah. the big solid metal one of the Creality's. Well, the option. Creality one also looks much nicer. Yeah, yeah and it's a little bit smaller. So mm. let's mark this in history as the first time JJ said anything good about a Creality product. Yeah. One Creality option I'd prefer. I would love if someone would make a generic Chinese clone of this right. Creality option. Well, actually, the Biku Huracan has a really tiny microprobe. Oh, um, yeah. I haven't really durability tested it, and I've heard of some people that have issues with it. But, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to see if that's a good option, too. I have one right here in my hands. Nice. They, they sent an email out you know, saying we're, we're selling these now, and they were like $13. Oh, awesome. oh wow. That's a deal. Yeah, and they, it, I was lucky enough to be off that day and at home when I got the email. By the time I got actually put it in my cart and paid for it, I went back, and they were, they were gone. So they lasted about a half an hour, if that. So it's a tiny little thing. It's very small. I think I'm going to put this on my uh, Ender 5. I had, one, I had one user on my Patreon that had a Biku Huracan, and he said the probe worked itself loose and like came down a little bit and hit his parts, and it ended up breaking it. Oh, yeah. So, th I mean, this is the thing. When you get a new product coming out, you don't know if it's going to be reliable in the long run yet. But you, the, the only way to find out is to just have people buy it, test it out, and see what people report back with. Yeah, that's the first time I've heard somebody say that there was a problem with that, that microprobe. There are really not a lot out there. So yeah. there's no mounts available for them. It's all, you have to do everything yourself, which I don't think is a big deal. But it is, it's much smaller by almost 20 millimeters in length. Right. Between that and the, uh, the BL Touch. So... One kind of annoying thing about BL touches, though, is they take five wires to run. So you've got to run a cable with five wires all the way to the hot end. I mean, there's ways around that, but um, it's a lot of little wires. That's one thing I really wish, or I feel like I mentioned it in a lot of videos, but no creators have, or no companies have done it yet. If they would put those a run those five <laughs> wires for us and give us a little jumper inside the head there. Um, so that it would make it so much easier for users to add a BL touch instead of running the wires all the way from the print head to the main board. If they would run those wires for us, that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there are some options out there. I know like on the Voron, they have options. Um, mine came with something called the Pico Bilical, which is an LDO thing. Where you, mm -hmm. you know, it's just a USB-C connection, and then there's just wires that go to it. I was talking about the Ender 5 upgrade. I am going to be doing a CAN bus on it. Oh, nice. Just because I can. Yep. So I'm waiting for that to come. That's the last piece of the puzzle I'm waiting to come in right now. It's coming on a slow boat from 
you know, Southeast Asia. So it'll be here eventually. <laughs> I like the idea of a CAN bus, but also the thought of putting additional microprocessors, uh, microprocessors on the onto your 3D printer that can go wrong. It just makes troubleshooting more difficult. Yeah, uh, and it, upgrading is kind of tough too because one thing can you upgrade one thing and it doesn't upgrade the other automatically, and then it stops working. Right. I'm already annoyed enough that when I um, put new firmware on my 3D printer, I then have to put new firmware on the screen too. And it's like, come on, can't that all be done by the same processor? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the, I know we're getting off on a tangent here, but on my, my Prusa clone, when you have it hooked up to the, you know, the same network as your uh, slicer, Hmm. it knows when you need to update the firmware. And you do it right through the slicer. Oh. Uh. Yeah, so you have to hook up. It won't go over Wi-Fi. You have to hook up a USB cable. But you hook up your printer to the USB cable to your, your PC, and you do it right through the, the slicer. You hit update, and it flashes the firmware for you. Yeah. Uh. Which is pretty so cool. So your slicer keeps track of what firmware is on your yep. printer so that it knows yep. when new ones come out. Yeah. Another thing they really did, I know I'm really getting off on a tangent here, but they they did with the new Prusa Slicer. If you go on printables.com and you go to the files, there's a Prusa Slicer logo next to the file. If you hit that button, it automatically just goes into your slicer. Wow. That's yeah. So you don't have to download integration. But you just hit a button on the browser and it opens up your your slicer and you can start slicing it yeah prusa is doing some pretty cool stuff um, i think they really are a whole solutions architect versus a lot of 3d printer manufacturers are like we built the thing now figure out how to use it like <laughs> there's some software i think it works <laughs> yeah the, the the community will take care of it for us right we'll just but, make it open source and say how wonderful it is and that's something that uh, Bamboo Lab and Prusa have really in common is that they are an end-to-end solution where they want you to stay in their ecosystem for, you know, getting the files, slicing them, putting them on the printer, monitoring. Like, I was what? thinking this morning how much I don't like the ecosystem of the Bamboo Labs, mm. how it feels like three different systems loosely tied together of your software on your computer, your slicer, the app on the phone and the firmware on the printer feels like three different disconnected things. So I washed, I'd wash off the PEI plate, put more glue on, or no, I just wash it and put it back on the thing. And I wanted to preheat it to dry it off. And so I go to into the slicer and I couldn't from the slicer turn heat, preheat the bed, or I couldn't figure oh, yeah. out how to preheat the bed if I can. And right. so then I had to go over to the printer and tell it to start preheating the bed. Or when I slice something and send it to the printer, but then it fails, and so I have to stop it on the printer. Then I can't go back to the computer and reload an old file that I've sent to it. I've got to go into my phone, which has a history tab, and that one I can send it over to it. Yeah, there's no history. Oh, yeah. Real quick, because this is a good conversation. Justin, <clears throat> I would recommend getting a BL Touch and just download the firmware from Creality, like I said before. I think that's going to... Yeah. Be very accurate and very easy for you to do, and you should be fine. So, welcome back to what JJ was talking about with the with the janky bamboo lab yeah. stuff. Uh, yeah. I, I had I had the same issue. I had a bunch of issues where I just couldn't get the the, the slicer to talk to my machine anymore. That's like Wait, what the hell's going on? You know who's uh, always yeah. talking to your machine? Bamboo HQ. You know, yeah. like yeah. They, the cloud thing is kind of creepy to me. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't want someone controlling my printer. That's not me. So what I found out was I run a VPN on my PC. Oh, yeah. If the VPN is on, the printer doesn't work. Wow. It can't go. It can't <laughs> go through the VPN to the cloud. Even if I try to just. You know, they have a thing now in the new slicer where you can just transfer files to your PC or to mm-hmm. the printer. It still has to go through the cloud. 
Yeah, I don't. I, I didn't understand when they were saying, "Oh, it's local network, but you still have to be connected to the internet." It's like yeah. that's, that doesn't sound like a local network. Yeah. yeah. And JJ, you're absolutely right about not having history there. It's like, why can't I see my history in the in the in the browser browser slicer thing? Mm-hmm. I only can do it on my phone. It's it's silly. Yeah. It's silly. There are a few other weird things that I don't like in the the bamboo slicer. Uh, if you're trying to rotate a thing, you can't snap it 90 degrees. In uh. Cura, if you click the arrows, it'll snap 90 degrees. Which usually I'm trying to rotate things in perfect 90 degrees. So instead, I have to go to the top and type in 90. Huh. Um, the, other, the other weird thing it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's based on Prusa Slicer, as we all know. Okay, the, yeah. the, and the Prusa Slicer, you can choose which face goes on the uh, build plate. Mm-hmm. You can't do that with the, with the bamboo. It only has an automatic thing. So you hit a button and it will automatically go to what it thinks is the best face. I thought there was one button that it will highlight some faces. I haven't been. You can try clicking it. Yeah, I haven't been able to find it. Yeah. Looks like Nathan is busy trying to find it. (laughs) Yeah, there's the auto orient. Yeah. There's the rotate. And there's there's lay on face. You can do the same one that Prusa developed. It does. Yeah. I just couldn't find it. Yeah. I'm just stupid. As usual, it's user error. Right. The, the well, other one I don't like is that the backspace doesn't delete an object. You have to press delete, uh, which I have a really weird custom keyboard I built, and the delete key is hidden under a function. And so it's just, why doesn't if backspace doesn't do anything different there? Then why doesn't it remove the object as well? Like in Cura, backspace or delete does the same thing. In this one, backspace does nothing. Well, I'm on a Mac, so I don't know what backspace is. All I have is delete. <laughs> oh, it's just so just many living opposite lives. <laughs> no delete, no op- backspace. These are like real world problems, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Oh, my backspace just... button and delete button don't work. <laughs> well, I wasn't expecting a complaint about Bamboo Labs. Uh, uh, <laughs> podcast but i'm totally down i just need to prepare my thoughts before i get into this well i, I didn't want to get go down that path either but I, I, it was just a interesting thread kind of thing mm-hmm. so um, is it better or worse than creality slicer oh it's better than creality <laughs> slicer those the cure slicers they put those things they're like 15 years old right and I they take did. like a half hour just to turn on. It's like, what the hell's going on? That one or the uh, the last Elegoo printer. It was the same thing. It was like, oh, download Elegoo Slicer. And I was like, no, I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah. I've got Cura, and it, it's way more up to date. And I don't want to mess with your half-baked Cura option. Half-baked. That looks pretty good. Yeah, I, I, I said I've I've been using Super Slicer. We've talked about that before mm-hmm. for a long time, and now I'm starting to use the Prusa again. Just because, like I said, on the the newest version, they their profiles work really good and they're really fast, and they have different speed settings on them now. So mm, yeah. there's like a regular speed, a faster, and then super speed or something like that, and it, you can just hit that and it'll make all the changes for you. I think so Prusa Slicer with it. Prusa Slicer has always had pretty good profiles for their own machines, but now it sounds like they're getting them for yep. other machines. Mm. Yep. So that's cool to see. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, because the, the, before an, an Ender Five profile was the exact same as the Ender Three profile, and they're all the same uh, thing, yeah. running at forty millimeters per second. Right. Everything was exactly the same. Well, I think that but might be anymore. that might be something where Prusa is trying to handicap other. Uh, they're like, yeah, you can use our slicer, but it's going to be slower than if you would just buy a Prusa. But now they've got more competition in the market and they, you know, we've got bamboo emerging as like a big threat. So maybe they're like, all right, let's, let's try and, you know, unite and beef everyone else's capabilities up a little bit. Just make it easy for everyone. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Prusa didn't start making a profile for the bamboo mm-hmm. and putting it on their slicer. Um, 
I know Bamboo has some other models on their slicer. They don't have the Prusa. They've got a few Creality's. Mm-hmm. They've got a couple of weird ones. They've got like a Tronxy something. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, it was probably contributed. So, anyways, Nathan also had a good thought about something we can talk about. And he's talking about the, or asking about the concept of 3D printed 3D printers. Not like Prusa, where it's, you print out some parts, but total, um, no, yes, he is mentioning Prusa. (laughs) Never mind, I take that back. There are a lot of good designs out there from classics like Prusa, Vorons, Rat Rigs, and newer projects like the Rook by Rolohan. I've seen those videos on that rook, and it looks interesting. It's totally 3D printed, the bed and everything. Right, and there's already people forking that design off into their own designs yep. that are trying to push it even faster. Yeah. Uh, it looks like it's pretty fast, and it, you can build them for a couple. I think, uh, was it Fabrico makes a kit for it now? Yeah. Oh, nice. I think it's two ninety nine for the kit. It's pretty cheap. Yeah. For Core XY machine. Right. And it's kind of, you know, why, why have 3D printed printers been so slow in the past? It's like, there's no real reason for that. Uh, well, th- I guess I, I should uh, think about Vorons before I say that. I, I haven't had a Voron or a rat rig or anything. So I've got all these printers that are made out of metal. And I always like that they're made out of metal because it's like, well, if the thing catches on fire, it can't really burn. So there's a little bit of... Uh, safety net built in there but the the vorons and the rat rigs still use a lot of metal in them for the structural links and stuff yeah Yeah. i guess the rook is like the main structural components are all 3d printed which is kind of unique yeah 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 it's it's very it's a very interesting build i i looked at it and i was like "Eh, maybe maybe not It, it it's one of those things where it it looks like it's a lot of work, a lot of work to get. I was right. thinking about doing a project. I've got this, uh, I can't remember even the name of it. The one printer that showed up that almost caught on fire and sort of taking the parts that are still decent on there, but then three printing the frame and stuff using one of Rolohan's designs or something, but seeing if how well could you repurpose a old or broken machine and how, how much would it actually cost? What parts do you really have to buy? And what can you just 3D print to make a really good machine out of some parts off an old cheap machine? Maybe something you could buy off Facebook Marketplace for 50, 100 bucks or so. Yeah, there's them. there's a bunch of, you know, like returned Ender 3s and stuff like that that you can buy oh, on yeah. eBay for under $100. Mm-hmm. And that's a, you know, for $100, you're going to get a, a decent frame, motors, control board that you're probably going to replace. Mm-hmm. So if you look at it from a modern standpoint, stuff like that is pure gold. Because yeah. you're going you're gonna to yeah. change everything out anyways. Mm-hmm. You're going to add this, matters. you're going to add yeah. that, you're going to add this, you're going to add that. Just start out with the skeleton and buy this this cheap thing. And who cares if the hot end doesn't work? Because you're going to put a different hot end on it anyways. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. So I've seen the... Uh... I've been considering this difference between the Ender 5 and the Ender 5 S1, where the Ender 5 S1 has got a bunch of upgrades on it already. But if you buy the Ender 5, you're saving like a couple hundred bucks that you can invest into the exact upgrades that you want to put on there. Yeah. So there's always that decision of should I start from a kit and build something or start with something that kind of works and upgrade it or start with something that's really good and upgrade it or start with something that's just you don't want to touch as soon as you get it. You just start printing things. So I like how there's so many different options and there's different yeah. people that I feel like are, are right for each option. Yeah. So like, like the, my under five, when I got that, that was like one of the fewer, I couldn't find one. Everything was an under mm-hmm. five pro that were like 350 bucks. Uh, I don't want to spend that because I'm, I'm going to replace everything right from the get go. It's going to come out of the box and almost everything is going to be replaced which is what I did, but I managed to find an under five for like 240 or $250 brand new. That was, it was a nice yeah. starter machine. I put another mm-hmm. three or 400 bucks into it, but when I was done, it was awesome. I still like that machine, but I'm going to tear it apart. <laughs> to make it better. 
tear it apart no, to build it back. I'm not, oh, I'm not tearing it apart to make it better. I don't care if it's better. It's pretty good right now. I just want something to do. Mm, yeah, yeah. But you're tearing it down to put it back together again. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to break it so I can fix it. Yeah. One thing I am not going to do is I'm not going to get everything going and decide I have to solder something while the right. machine is moving. I'm going yeah. to solder on the tool head. It's extreme that, modding. Extreme that was mod. like that was like one of the best things I've ever seen in a 3D printing video. I, I was almost on the floor. I was laughing so hard. I'm like, what the hell is he doing? I mean, think about how much time I'm going to waste if I have to stop my print and then do that soldering. <laughs> Who cares if it kind of blew up a little bit and I ended up wasting a lot more time, you know? It, it was fun. It was Test the power gold. loss recovery. Just pull the plug real quick, solder, plug pure it back gold. in. I'm shocked that it didn't, uh, <laughs> like, break the printer. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure I shorted, like, a fan plug to ground, which usually fries the main board, but <laughs> yeah. somehow that one survived. That's funny. So what, what, do, what do you guys think about Rollahan's Rook? I mean, what's a what's a really good take on it? You think? I think what it's good kind of, and bad. I think it's kind of the next extension of like Voron into the more home built side of things. Mm-hmm. It's like a Voron with less bill of materials, more printed parts. Well, he seems um, like an engineer. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he talks like an engineer, so I imagine he knows what's going on, and all the Voron is just a a bunch of guys that are changed a lot of different things that are engineers. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I don't see why one guy can't start with something like that and then release it into the community. And people are starting to make mods and, you know, build these core XY machines from spare parts. It's, yeah. I think it's tremendous. I subscribed yeah. to Rolahan a long time ago and yeah. it's, it's surprising to see how much his channel's grown. And uh, I hopped on his Discord the other day, and they're having like a full-blown engineering meeting. Like someone's sharing their CAD drawings, and they're like, "Well, let's analyze this part." <laughs> it's like, it's uh, it's crazy. You know, yeah. people in the community just get together and they start doing work that most companies would pay people a good salary to do, oh, <laughs> but they're yeah. just doing it for fun. Yeah, well, that that's good. Yeah. You know that that mm-hmm. really promotes the whole hobbyist level of this mm-hmm. of this thing that we're doing. And I, I, I think it's wonderful. I think the more people involved with stuff like that, the better. Yeah. Because you get so many different ideas. Yeah. I feel like it really goes into even deeper dive into that DIY hobbyist level of mm-hmm. cheaper to start with. Like anyone with some belts and motors and such can start building a printer out of some PLA or spools of, I don't know if it's PLA or whatever filament you got and <laughs> some random parts. Like that's all it takes. Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys ever done anything close to that? No. No? I don't think so. I mean, someone described my channel as the junkyard wars of 3D printer mods. <laughs> so I'm like thinking about that. It's like, could I actually go to a junkyard and build a 3D printer? If you took apart a couple of real printers, you might be able to get like the stepper motors and belts and stuff and be able to fashion something together. Um, but I've never actually done that in re- real life. So, but you know, you look at even like the Prusa. I mean, it is open source. Mm-hmm. You can just make one yourself from downloads and make the parts and print the thing out. You do have to buy some stuff. I mean, you still need motors and lead screws and you know all that stuff. But they still have it all out there available for you to do yourself. Right. Yeah. And that's why they have cheap clone kits on AliExpress. They just like copy down all the instructions on how to sell that. And then they just Mm -hmm. sell it as their own thing, which I don't know. I don't really like that people do that, but um, there's this whole, there's the philosophy of open source, which is like to share everything. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that bites you in the ass. Like, uh, Oh, sorry. Bites you in the, in the behind. Uh, I'm I'm concerned with kind of like the direction that Bamboo Lab is going, where they've basically cloned Clipper into their own private repository, and now they're further developing it as a private entity. Whereas like that that was whole that whole thing was a open source project, and people poured 
hundreds or thousands of hours into it to make it what it is. I don't, can you can you do that if it's you know has the the GNU license on it? It states that you know you can't do anything. You change on this has to be still open source. Mm-hmm. Can right. you take open yeah. source stuff and just close it up? Um, in theory, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I think in theory, if you rewrite all of the code, like you just print all the code out into a big long. Uh, book and then you just transcribe it in your own words into a different programming language. I don't know how this works. We need a we need a lawyer on the Which show. I, I sure. think that would be overstating that they cloned Clipper into their own repository. Yeah, um, it's more they took ideas that are in the open source community and made them their own. You know, like Input Shaper, Pressure Advance, all these yeah. ideas of three D printing and stuff. Yeah, right. and then made their own closed wall area yeah. and they did that. It, but closing it off is still it's, it's like it's like perjury almost i not perjury but plagiarism <laughs> blasphemy <laughs> it's plagiarism it's taking yeah. somebody else's work and taking credit for it i don't know maybe kind of yeah maybe if they copy of. it yes but getting inspired by someone else is one thing Right, but how, do you think the actual equations that they used for input shaping and pressure advance are any different than the ones that are in Clipper? True, yeah. Probably not uh, that different. Not, I don't know. I don't know the legal ramifications of it. I'm yeah. not a lawyer, and I don't even play one on TV. Right. So, all right. I think we're gonna we're gonna end it there. We're gonna <laughs> we can do this for hours, and I think people would go nuts if we did that. So. Um, <laughs> got to keep them coming back for more. Yeah, right. keep them come back for more. Right. right. So uh, thanks, and and remember, we really need questions and participation from the audience. So make sure to go to perfectfirstlayer.com, go to the submit page, and ask us. We are also now on Apple Podcasts, so you can find us there. You can find us on Google Play. You can find us on just about anything now. So go to your favorite app and subscribe. And also leave comments in the Apple podcast because it helps us in the search rankings. It's very important. So Nathan, where can you be found at other than in your basement right now? Well, I can be found in, on um, YouTube at Nathan Builds Robots. Oh, no, sorry, not .com. But you can go to Nathan Builds Robots.com. I have that domain if you want to go there. But yeah, YouTube, Nathan Builds Robots. Got more videos coming out. Cool. JJ? Yes, you can find me also in my basement <laughs> and at youtube.com, JJ Shankles. That's where right. I am. We're just a bunch of basement dwellers, really. Yeah. I, I don't have a basement. I have a crawl space. Okay. That'd be pretty creepy, me doing this podcast from the crawl space. Yeah, you Three and the raccoons. I can be found on YouTube at Guy Shop or just do a Google search for Guy's Wood Shop and all kinds of stuff will come up about me. So great. Thanks so much for listening. And it was a great conversation and we'll see you guys on the next show. All right. Bye. Bye.